Good morning, church. My question for you today is, have you ever felt sort of off whenever the world tries to do something? Like, like it just, like the opposite would be better. Have you ever felt like the world zigs when it should have zagged? The world is happy. You're worried. This is what I'm talking about. The world worries and you're at peace. It's like every day is opposites day, isn't it? Doesn't that how it sort of feels to be a Christian or in this world where we're starting to know Jesus, but everything goes kind of opposite of the way it should be? This morning's text is going to get into that a little bit and explain why that is. Um, as I read today, this is the last of the I'm telling you this now so it'll make sense when it happens statements. There's been five of this will be the fifth one, but I'm going to read this and then we'll go through them all a little bit. Okay, so here it is. Now I'm on the why to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked where you're going. Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again. This truth, it's better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend or the spirit won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. This is in uh, John 16, now verse 8. When he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them then that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin, that righteousness comes from above where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. That judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. Now, there's a slightly different translation in this from the NLT right there in the middle of that. It says, as I try to find it here, um, righteousness, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. So what he's saying is in that spot, the translation is a little strange, but it's better for me to go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come and convict of sin. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't come convict of sin, then righteousness will not be available to you. And without righteousness, you know, there's no standing before God. Anyway, verse 12. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend, the spirit of truth comes, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all truth, into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen and indeed out of all that I have done and said. He will honor me. He will take from me and deliver to you. Everything the Father has is also mine, and that is why I've said he'll take from me and deliver to you. So the process in this thing has been, I've taken from the Father and given to you, and now he will take from me and give to you. And since that's from me, it's from the Father as well. In a day or so, you're not going to see me. But then in another day or so, you will see me. 
That stirred up the hornet's nest among the disciples, verse 17. Questions amongst them arose. What is he talking about in a day or so you're not going to see me, but then in another day you will see me? And because I'm on the way to the Father, what is this day or so? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they were dying to ask him what he meant. And so he said, are you trying to figure out amongst yourselves what I meant when I said in a day or so here, you're not going to see me, but in another day or so you will see me? Then fix this firmly in your mind. You're going to be in deep mourning while the godless world throws a party. You'll be sad, very sad, but your sadness will develop into gladness. It's just like when a woman gives birth. She has a hard time. There's no getting around it. But when the baby is born, there is joy in the birth. This new life in the world wipes out the memory of the pain and sadness you have right now is similar to that pain. But the coming joy is also similar. When I see you again, you'll be full of joy, and it will be a joy no one can rob from you. You'll no longer be so full of questions. This is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whether, whatever is in keeping with the things I've revealed to you. Ask in my name according to my will, and he'll most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river flowing its overflowing its banks. I've used figures of speech in telling you these things. Soon I'll drop the figures and tell you about the Father in plain language. Then you can make sure your request direct you can make your request directly to him in relation to this life I've revealed to you. I won't continue making requests of the Father on your behalf. I won't need to, because you've gone out on a limb, committed yourselves in love and trust in me, believing I came from the Father. The Father loves you directly. First, I left the Father and arrived in the world, and now I leave the world and travel to the Father. His disciples said, finally, you're giving it to us straight in plain talk. No more figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything. It'll, it'll all come together in you. You won't have to put up with our questions anymore. We're convinced you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you finally believe? In fact, you are about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me but I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you these things so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I have conquered the world. Now, there's a couple of things that go on in this that, that I need to express to you that in John 12... John puts in Jesus's mouth that Jesus speaking the call of Isaiah to go forth in chapter six, which I read a couple weeks ago, the call to go forth and speak for God, but everybody will have hard hearts and hard ears and they won't hear or nor understand. So speaking my truth, they won't understand and all this. So that Jesus quotes that in John 12 and in between John 12 and right here at the end of John 16 are these five, I'm telling this you this now statements that at the very end of it, they say, 
They're having their de-babble moment, the babble on the ba- the Tower of Babel moment where everything is confused. Only now the Holy Spirit is sh- bringing them back and, and doing this. And they're having this de-babble moment where all the hard hearts and the difficulty to listen and hear is starting to come together within Jesus. So what are those five statements? So the five statements are in John 13, right after the foot washing, Jesus says, um, I'm not doing this as a teacher or a master, but as living as one of you, I've shown you how you should live, live as I do. I'm telling you this so that you will know I'm the Messiah. But he's not telling it to servants, he's telling it to friends, right? So be a servant as he is, as a model of how the Father has lived, but he's telling you this so that you would know that he's the Messiah. That's the first statement. I'm telling you this now so that you'll know that I'm the Messiah. After that, Jesus goes in at the end of chapter 13. It's time for me to suffer so I can make room for you. Don't be troubled by my suffering. I'm telling you this so that you will trust in God and trust in me. So the first one is trust I'm telling you this so that you'll know I'm the Messiah. The second one is is that you trust in God, now trust in me, the Messiah. So they're building on each other. Then after verse 14, 1, all who love me will do what I say. You will not be abandoned as orphans, right? I'm not leaving you alone. I'm telling you this so you will believe that I'm returning. You will not be abandoned. I'm not, I'm going to make a place for you. If I don't go, I'm not making a place for, I can't make a place for you. That's the same thing as it's better for me to go because you have a shot at righteousness because of this path that I'm on. If I don't make this path, you don't have a shot at righteousness. So I'm telling you this. So the first one, remember that Jesus is the Messiah. The second one is trust God. You trust God, trust in me. The third one is, I'm telling you this, so you will believe that I'm returning, that you're not going to be abandoned, right? So you'll know what's going on. Then after verse 14, 25, there's a long one in there where it says, remaining in me means they're going to treat you like me. So being my disciple and knowing I'm not going to abandon you and doing what I say means that they're, they treated me bad first and they're going to treat you bad. I tell you this, this is the fourth one. So what's the first one? Jesus is Messiah. The second one is trust in, you trust in God. Trust in me, right? Don't be troubled by this. And then the third one, so that you will believe that I am returning. The fourth one so that you won't abandon. Okay, do you see how that's reciprocal? The second, the third, and the fourth one there are, you've not been abandoned, so don't abandon back. I'm telling you all this so that when it happens, and then this one, right? I'm telling you this so that trusting me, your faith will be radically strong, that you'll have peace, even when everything around you is coming apart. That's the story today. That's what we're working on today. This one, the world of Isaiah 6 is this presence of the world. It's all confused. The world is happy that Jesus died. 
because they killed him. They wanted him out of the way because of the conviction. But we're grieved. Their grief or their happiness or their rebellion or their worry, none of that is to be our way. I'm telling you this so that you'll have peace and the peace is from the Father. You've not been abandoned, so don't abandon this. I'm telling you this so that when you believe, when there are difficulties, when the world is going the wrong way, you should not be surprised that that you're fighting up, up the stream, that you're swimming against a riptide, that it seems like things, matter of fact, if you're not swimming against the stream and you feel like there's no riptide, like the world's doing things right, I'm going to tell you that, guess what? You're probably on the wrong side of that thing. But their way of rebellion and their way of, of mocking Jesus and their way of, of sacrificing Jesus, we are benefiting from Jesus doing this. They will eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow they die. They don't know what God has in store for them, and we are not to live that way. And our faith doesn't come from being in agreement with them, with the world. We are not to just be in solitary agreement. Now, I know this is a difficult concept to understand, and I understand that sometimes the church world is in conflict with itself, Yes. Do you know why the church world is in conflict with itself? Because some people in the church world agree with the world and some people don't. And here's where the discussion is. Outside of the church world, there's almost no disagreement on those issues. So the very fact that there's disagreement is how God is sort of purging and working that that transformational life out in us so that we will learn to not do it the world's way. Now, this is not how long you've been a Christian. This is not how short a time you've been a Christian or how deep. It's that everybody is on this road to being less like the world and more like the Father. Everybody in Christ is on that road. If you're doing what he says and you've got the Spirit in you talking to you, you're on this road, but we're all at different points on the road. And that means that all this little infighting is really about following God and getting your peace from him instead of getting your peace from being in agreement and not being struggling with the world. Let me say this again. This is how it goes. This is how we're in world opposite day and sometimes the world zigs when it should have zagged and we zag when it zigs and we zig when it zags and it seems like we're always going the wrong way. But here's the deal, okay? These five statements are really big. Remember that. I am the Messiah. I suffer in exactly the same way God suffers on your behalf. That's the second one, right? I suffer as God. You trust God and trust in me, 
that I'm telling you that God is going to suffer on your behalf. Number three, the Spirit comes so that you're not abandoned, and I go to send the Spirit, but when I go, I make a way for you. That righteousness that you need to come into the presence of God is only possible because I go and that the Spirit comes. You're not abandoned. Number four, remain in me so that you'll not abandon your faith. And this number five, your peace is not from the same source as the peace of the world's. Your peace comes from God. I know it's super easy to, to think of your understanding as peace as coming from comforts and cars and friends and, and, and not having to have arguments with people. Look, I'm not advocating that you go and have arguments with people all the time. But what's going on is when the world is zigging and it should be zagging, the people of God are zagging when the world's zigging, and that creates friction with the culture. And that friction with the culture cannot be substituted by, by a different friction from the culture and then get peace. Your peace is from God. That is the source that's the unshakable assurance that we're after. That's the way that means when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're called to trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I just want you to be aware that, that as we do this life, Jesus loves you and God's got your back is at the heart of these statements. I'm telling you this so that you won't be afraid. And, and the reasons you're not going to be afraid is that Jesus is the Messiah. The Father and He are one and they're making a way for you. They're not going to leave you alone. That remaining, remaining and being like Jesus will mean that you're in this spot of cultural, anti-cultural anti friction that we're in. And that you won't abandon your faith so that you won't abandon your faith because of that friction, right? So this is it. And now you don't abandon your faith because of that, because Jesus loves you and God's got your back. Your peace comes from him, not from the happenings around you. It doesn't matter. I understand that life can be brutal and that sometimes it doesn't feel like there's peace, but anxiety will not add a day to your life nor an inch to your height. You can't worry this stuff out. The only way it is is to live in the peace that God gives you. And that will turn your grief into joy. Throughout the process, you'll be able to live and trust in God and hold on to that rope of hope that he gives you. Let's do that, church. Let's hold on to our faith, knowing that we're not abandoned by the God who sends the Spirit, by the God who suffers for us, by the God who is our Messiah so that we might have peace. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, today, today I ask that you would help us recognize your peace and that we would drink 
very deeply from that. That we would give up the other sources of things that promised peace in our world but never gave it. But that we look for you. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.